0: This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of
1: people are saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in. why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action.
0: A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar
1: a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson
2: on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable Live. Across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, it has just gone 5 p.m. alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow for the fourth time this week. I will say it: what a session, Guy Johnson! What a session! Uh, and I'm just going to throw
0: in there, so we'll get it out of the way now. Seems like we have an extra champion, an extra uh, Premiership game, but it's taking place in Madrid.
1: Unbelievable! What a comeback from Spurs!
0: It was an amazing game. Fantastic! And they were game. both. They were both amazing games. But I just kind of—I'm slightly guess like it does just feel like a premiership game. I know uh, no,
1: we have seen this before, but it's got a little bit more spice to it.
3: Is this the first all English affair since oh, wow. Is that 2008? The, the voice of John Tucker. Can we just introduce? <laughs> you, you to know how much <laughs> I love following Ajax. 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 I didn't say Ajax. Ajax, guy. Ajax. You did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did actually. <laughs> why? Why are you here? Where's Charlie? Uh, Charlie, here. I'll tell you how dedicated Charlie is. He's off today. Yeah. But he still came in. Did he? for uh, yeah,
1: for. He just, he misses us. Sorry. He honestly
3: came in on his day off. Yeah. He, That's the weird. The poor man needs to find a life.
1: That is weird. Do you want to get us some top stories?
3: House price growth. Everybody talks about house prices, right? They remain weak in April as the slump in southeast England continues to depress the market. Now, according to the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, prices were unchanged Due to a dip in new buyers, expectations for the next three months, they're flat or uh, declining sales across all of Britain. Now, contributors to the survey continue to cite, guess what, Brexit as a dampening factor. And P.M. May has won a reprieve from her Conservative Party. A key panel of lawmakers kept the rules on leadership challenges unchanged. May agreed to discuss her future next week. Meanwhile, talks with the opposition party on a Brexit compromise have been revived. Both sides indicate there has been been progress and that is your very latest should i do the update in sports no
1: i think we'll give that a miss i think we don't need to know about ice tottenham came back from a three nil
3: aggregate deficit to knock off ajax in amsterdam 24 hours after liverpool defeated barcelona
1: that's a beautiful update thanks for that just in case anyone else in london doesn't know the score (laughs) (laughs) john see John Tucker in about 28 minutes I bet you can't wait at a close today the FTSE 100 down by almost nine-tenths of one percent in the United States on the S&P 500 just going through the halfway point of the trading day the S&P 500 off the lows we were down about one and a half percent on the S&P at the lows we're now negative 1.11 percent joining Guy and I I'm pleased to say is Michael Houston to try and make sense of all of this now Mike In a couple of hours' time, the Chinese delegation, I assume, lands in Washington, D.C. They will then have just a number of hours to try to get the United States not to follow through on its threat to hike tariffs at midnight. Are they going to be successful? No. In a word. And is this market adjusted enough for that reality?
4: No, it's not, and I'll I'll tell you why. I think until a week ago, the market was pricing in that we get some form of deal. And And that's been consistently priced in pretty much... I think, for most of this year, January, February, we've always had expectations raised that we'll get some form of deal. And then obviously the deadline has been consistently deferred. It was deferred beyond March and then April and then May. And then suddenly over the weekend, we've had this very abrupt change of tone from President Trump in the wake of that um, memo that apparently US officials received on the Friday that China allegedly had rode back on a whole host of um, commitments that they had made regarding IP and what have you and then suddenly we had President Trump last night saying that the Chinese had broken the deal. Now against that backdrop do people really think that the Chinese are suddenly going to acquiesce and come back to the table and say yeah okay we didn't mean it uh, and you can, you can defer these tariffs. I think these new tariffs are going to happen.
0: So what have, been, what have clients been doing today?
4: Largely playing from the short side, um, taking profits way too early. I think there has been an expectation that we'll get sudden lurch down, buy in on the dip and then look for a rally and come back. That hasn't happened. And I, I wrote a note a note earlier this week that I think there's an awful lot of expectation that this will be a similar buy the dip mentality. But what's different about this? And this is something that investors consistently do, I think they've underestimated um the fact that An awful lot of the market is short vol, in the same way that they were in February last year. Um, There was those CFTC stats at the end of April that showed that vol contracts were at record short levels. And my my thing is, I think, where's the pain threshold for those short vols? Have we passed it or have we got further to go? Um, I think the key level for me on the VIX is 25. We're not there yet, but I think we could well go there.
1: Mike, you've got a great read on the FX market, and I think we should talk to you about it just a little bit. We have started to see cracks emerge, real cracks, across emerging market currencies, and I'm not just talking about the Turkish Mm. lira. We have had, what, one, two, three, four days of Chinese currency weakness a move of about eight-tenths of 1% in today's session. Now, typically, when we think about what is at the beating heart, the epicentre of price action, we usually go back to what is happening maybe with the really well-traded currencies like the euro or the dollar, for Mm. that matter. Socgen's Kick Duke's pointing out that he thinks the epicentre of the market moves are going to come from the Chinese currency. How important are the moves of the last few days and how important will they be in the coming days?
4: I think today's move is very... Significant because if you look at how far we've come in just today, we've gone from 680 to 684, 685. I haven't got a screen in front of me, so I don't know where we are at the moment. I'll get it for you. But for me, the big level I think is 698.7. That's been the high since pretty much 2016. Or the high for the dollar, the low for the Chinese currency. So I think if we get a move back to those sorts of levels, I think you're going to certainly see further pressure emerge on emerging markets. Um, certainly in terms of the currency factor, less so due to the interest rate factor, because obviously interest rates and yields are much, much lower.
0: Do we go back through seven?
4: No, not yet. I think there'll be a lot of stops th- through seven. And if we're able to maintain a foothold through there, then it could get messy very, very quickly. But I work on the basis of that history repeats itself until such times as we get through seven. I play it on a chart basis and I play it from short dollars, long one.
1: Just tactically speaking, the positioning coming into this week, how short were we, the US dollar?
4: Probably not as short as maybe we thought we, sh- thought we could be. I'm actually surprised at how fast we've rallied against the euro. But I still don't feel that the euro is probably the best way to play the dollar. Um, I still think the euro has significant problems of its own. And I think that it'll... The ECB will be very reluctant to let it rise much above 113 at this point in time. The key level for me on euro dollar is 113.40. I think if we break through there, then we could see further um, euro gains and dollar losses. But for the time being, I think the euro is in a range. For me, it's dollar yen. I think dollar yeah. yen is where we will see the pressure valve. If we go through 109.50, then we could well see further sell-offs in equity markets
0: boj saying it was watching the situation very carefully a little earlier on
4: um that's japanese for so we're ready to step in
1: well that was kind of my
0: yeah. that's where i'm going yeah, that's, I, that's I, the,
4: but they can slow it down i used to trade dollar yen what they don't want to see is sudden appreciations in the yen they'll let it they'll let it rise yeah but it's about the pace of it not the direction I was talking Simon
0: derek earlier on he was talking about 105.
4: yeah i would i would wow. go along with that um i mean my immediate target is probably 108 but 105, maybe six months, nine months from now, if things don't improve. South
0: Korean won absolutely battered as well, um, and that has certainly been at the epicenter of all of this. And there's the oil factor you need to put into some of these trades as well. Uh, the tension rising in the uh, in the Gulf, straight to hormuz uh, the oil story would be very negative uh, if it was to rise substantially for the South Korean economy. Plus, you've got a few missiles being lobbed by the North Koreans. Plenty of other things to think about as well. We'll carry on the conversation. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening, good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. Uh, And, of course, around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. When I say we, John Farrow is over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson, joining you here in London. Joining us in the studio, Michael Hewson, Chief Market Analyst for CMC. Michael, government talks uh, continuing here in London between, uh, well, the government and the Labour Party uh, on which direction to take Brexit. The pound's actually up a little bit today, but not by much. Uh, We're trading one thirty seventeen as we speak. Oh, I was talking to you in the break, and your view kind of is that we're in a holding pattern. We're waiting uh, for the European elections, mm. the Euros, as uh, apparently they're now being called, uh, to take place. Theresa May's position, uh, uh, presumably the Tory party's just kind of hanging on. They won't, they won't get rid of her until she's taken full responsibility for what is likely to be a drubbing.
4: They can't get rid of her. They had the confidence vote in December last year, and under party rules... Uh, they can't mount another challenge. Yeah, but they So, so the they've, 1922
0: committee have have decided not to exercise the option of shortening that to six months, simply for the reason that they want May to to take responsibility. But it
4: could also be subject to a legal challenge. I think there was some talk about that trying to change party rules to suit to try and drive out an incumbent might have been a little bit difficult. But you're right. I think they want to basically wrap up the European elections in a dirty great big bow wrap it round her neck, because I think they're going to get an absolute drubbing. Um, But Labour aren't in any much better shape, and I think it's in both parties' interests at the moment to try and keep the pretense up of having these talks. They're not that far apart politically, I think, in terms of the withdrawal agreement. It's about the future relationship afterwards, and I think there's a bit of a phony war going on at the moment. It doesn't suit either party at the moment to call off the talks. But I think both you and I know that they're not going to agree because it doesn't suit them politically to do so ahead of the European elections. And Labour's started its election campaign today. The Brexit party has got a head start. And I think, at the moment, they're leading in the polls. Well, I think Europe's
1: going to have another problem, not just the European elections. May 17th, it's amazing, it's a week away. May 18th, and it's when the United States is going to set to make a decision around tariffs on autos and I find it remarkable that a little more than a week away we could have a really pivotal decision for the continent that could end up bringing the Europeans into a trade war with the United States in the same vein as the one with the Chinese over the last couple of years.
4: Is Europe ready for that? I don't think they are. (laughs) I actually find, and I think that's why I think investors are underestimating the glide path of what's going on at the moment. The United States is about to embark not only on a trade war with China, it's picking a fight with Iran. Um, It's announced new sanctions on Iranian steel and industrial metals. And now, or a week from now, we could potentially be looking at tariffs on autos, European autos.
0: You need to put all of these things, stories together. Europe's about to have an election as well. Mm. You you need to put, one needs to be overlaying the other. Like, how is the leadership? You are going to have a very fragmented European Parliament. You are going to therefore have a very difficult fight over how to how, how to form the next European Commission. You are going to have a very difficult process for Europe to go through with the United States. Hey, you, Europe doesn't know which way to look right now. They won't, and, and, and you kind of just you, you doubt that any policy is actually going to come out of it.
4: I, I do not see how they will be able to come up with a coherent response. response.
0: Yeah to and and you wonder about brexit as well yeah. in that scenario Absolutely. If, if the uk goes back and says okay we've got a deal mm. and now we want to negotiate the next bit you kind of wonder whether or not there is going to be some sort of of coalescence within europe to provide that option because you could end up in a situation where everybody's being pulled to the left and to the right
4: well you've also got the fact that they there is disagreement about the leader of the next leader of the european parliament Um, Emmanuel Macron, is not in favour of the current way of doing things. So you first and foremost have to agree on that mechanism before you can even appoint a new head of the European Parliament.
0: Emerging markets, uh, another factor in all of this. Uh, We need to figure out exactly what that all means. We have difficult situations developing in South Africa. We're trying to figure out what the uh, the vote count means there. We're trying to understand what the story in Turkey looks like. Uh, The Turkish Central Bank delivering a rate hike by stealth today. Again, that just feels like they're trying to slow down the rate of depreciation of the lira. We'll come back to those stories next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio.
1: We are heading for the biggest weekly loss of the year so far on the FTSE. We're down by more than 2%. Over the last couple of trading days, heading for a weekly loss on the S&P 500, potentially the biggest weekly loss of the year so far too. The S&P 500 on the session, down by almost one full percentage point. The tech-heavy Nasdaq down by 1.11% in the FX market. Risk aversion, stronger Swissy, stronger Yen. Outside of all of that, decent bid in the bond market too. The 10-year yield coming in three basis points. Ugly auction for 10-year Treasuries yesterday. Very little, if any, follow-through whatsoever in the following 24 hours. The bond market still with a nice bid here. Yields coming in five basis points on a two-year to 2.248%. Yields lower, risk aversion dominating pretty much every single asset class, including... Emerging markets. The situation with Turkey getting worse, the Turkish lira, under renewed pressure through the week, not just because of the trade story, but because of the fears around the erosion of Turkey's democracy following a ruling party challenge to elections and concern over the central bank's commitment to raising rates. Turkey's central bank stepped in to tighten the supply of lira today by raising borrowing costs for lenders and making a series of changes to reserve requirements in some kind of an attempt to bolster the country's battered capital. Currency. Will it work or are things set to get a whole lot worse from here? Michael Houston, your view.
4: I just think it's slowing down the inevitable. We've been here before we've been here before with Turkey. I think there is a significant scepticism about the direction of travel when it comes to governance within Turkey. None of what's happened over the past couple of days is going to change that. And what what you're seeing I think is a further decline in the lira back to the levels that we saw, I think, in the middle of last year when we saw a massive sell-off um, in a similar sort of vein over concerns about governance of the country and um, the independence of the central bank.
0: Is the market underpricing as well? Because we're spending so much time talking about tr- about trade. Is, is the market underpricing the risk of what is happening in the Gulf right now too? The Iranian situation looks to be getting more difficult by the day. It's going to be difficult for the Europeans to figure out a way around this, so the Iranians in 59 days' time will ultimately walk away from major parts of that deal. And then you kind of look forward and try and figure out what could happen next. The Iranians are being squeezed into a corner. There's a a regional politics at play here as well, which is difficult to fathom out Mm. as well too. Oil prices at the moment are quite subdued, and, and, and in some ways that is what the global economy needs right now. I, you put trade tariffs on top of potentially mm. some sort of problem, some sort of supply hit to the to the oil story. How tough could it get for, for economies like Turkey, for for economies like South Africa as well?
2: I
4: think it, well, I think it could get very tough. I mean, you could look at interest rates in Turkey right now; they're twenty four, twenty five percent. If you get an inflationary shock as a result of an oil price spike, which plus could, the currency weakness, which the currency weakness that. as well, exactly, then it could tip the global economy into a recession. And we've already got concerns about the glide path for global growth already. If emerging markets take a hit, um, then where's that growth going to come from? I mean, it's not just, I don't think it's just a, an oil price story. I mean, I think the big concern is when you get the USS Abraham Lincoln going into the Gulf, yep. the potential for a flashpoint increases. And the big question is, how far do the Iranians want to push this? Because I don't think the Europeans are going to come to the rescue. No matter how much they want to, they still rely on the US um, and the Federal Reserve to stabilise any dislocations in financial markets.
1: The Russians were pretty firm with the Europeans today. This is Sergei Lavrov, the Foreign Minister, saying the Europeans who committed to find a solution to the problem created by the Americans to fulfil their promise. It's up to the
4: Europeans to do that. But but it's not John because if you if you have the global reserve currency, then basically you hold all the levers and the Europeans can complain as much as they like. Um, the euro okay, it's a reserve currency, but I don't have the same confidence in the euro as I do in the dollar, simply because the mechanism for controlling the euro is completely different.
0: I think he's also like he was standing next to the Iranian foreign minister, and I also think the Russians. Are very determined to to cause trouble in Europe right now. So anything it's not that hard to undermine. I agree. It's not hard to do at the moment. <laughs> the Europeans make that easy, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. do. But anything the Russians can do to undermine the credibility of of the Europeans right now uh, certainly works to their advantage. Uh, and you kind of got a sense in what Lavrov had to say that that was certainly the case. I found it fascinating, John, that that um, Pompeo decided to, to skip his little trip to Europe. No, skip skip his little trip to to but Germany. He- Um, really highlighting the difference between Germany and the United States at the moment. They really are not on the same page.
1: The next week, I think, is going to be really interesting. I don't want to prejudge anything. Just the way this is all stacked up, the event risk on the horizon, it's just really surprising to me. I go back to a conversation we had 10 minutes ago. It's really surprising to me there is such little focus on that May 18th line in the sand for the U.S. administration to turn around and talk about tariffs on European autos. It's almost shocking
4: to me. I suppose, John, it goes back to this perception that the markets can only really focus on one yep. factor or two factors at a time. And at the moment, it's still over a week away. I think it'll become more of a factor once we get into Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, once we get past this weekend. I think at the moment, the key thing to keep an eye out for is how China reacts, when the, how the Chinese delegation reacts to President Trump and what comes out of this weekend. Once we're past that, then the markets will focus on next Thursday or whatever comes next. I,
0: you just you have to wonder how the European Central Bank and how the German authorities will respond to this and whether or not they've got their eye on the ball at the moment.
4: I don't think you can price it. Really, I,
0: I, I think you could probably get an idea of what it, you you could you could get an idea of what it would mean for the German auto sector.
4: Well, I think we saw that in today's price action. I mean, the German auto sector um, was down quite heavily today. Yeah, all guess, of them.
0: Yeah. I, so I think you can, despite the fact they make yeah. a lot of cars in, in, mm. in the United States, I still think you would see a, a significant. So I think you can price it. I think you've probably got an easier idea of how to price it from an economic point of view than you have mm. from, a, from a market point of view. Um, anyway, let's uh, figure out what is going on. We're getting some comments from the president. Let's listen to him.
2: Lordstown. They kept saying, Lordstown, Lordstown. And when you had all of these great companies spending billions and billions of dollars coming into our country, they couldn't talk about it. They'd only mentioned the one plant. Uh, That uh, was a GM plant from a very long time ago, and now we have a great company going and going to make electric trucks, very appropriate. Interesting idea, actually. Electric trucks. Yes, please. Will you allow Robert Mueller to testify in Congress? Well, I'm going to leave that up to our very great Attorney General, and he'll make a decision on that. But I will say this. Look, the Mueller report came out. It was done. uh, I guess I'm hearing numbers now close to $40 million with 17 or 18 very angry Democrats who hated Donald Trump and also uh, everything that they could possibly have at their disposal. There was nobody that was in the history of our country more transparent than me. I said, give them every document, give them every person, let the White House counsel testify. I think he testified for 30 hours. I guess they must have asked him the same question because. Uh, There wasn't very much to testify about, but I said, let him testify and let him keep him as long as you want. Actually, when I heard 30 hours, I said, that's a long time. But I let him testify. I didn't have to have presidential privilege. I could have stopped everything. I didn't have to give them a document. I gave them 1.5 million documents. I gave them White House counsel. I gave them other lawyers. Anybody you want, you can talk to at the end of the testimony, no collusion, and essentially, no obstruction. Of course, a lot of people say, how can you obstruct when there was no crime? When there was no collusion, how can you possibly obstruct? I'll tell you, but it's worse than that. It's not only was there no crime, but the crime was committed on the other side. So we're protecting against the crime committed on the other side. So after spending all of that money, all of that time, two years, They come up with a report, and Bob Mueller is no friend of mine. I had conflicts with him. We had a business dispute. We had uh, somebody that is in love with James Comey. We like James Comey. They were very good friends, supposedly best friends. Maybe not, but supposedly best friends. You look at the picture file, and you see hundreds of pictures of him and Comey. And with all of that and other things, he wanted the FBI job. I don't know if anybody knows that, but as you know, he was considered for the FBI job, wanted it. And the day after he didn't get it, he became the special counsel. That's a conflict. And we had other things, but that, those are tremendous conflict. Listen to this. Your judge, call him a judge, is, has a business dispute with me. Your judge has a fantastic relationship well, James Comey, well, he's a part of this. He lied to Congress. He leaked. He's a liar, a leaker. And your judge has a situation where he wanted to become the FBI director. We chose Director Ray instead and told him, I'm sorry. That's, those are tremendous conflicts. Those are tremendous conflicts. And then he puts on his staff almost all Democrats, many of whom contributed to Hillary Clinton. None of them contributed to me, that I can tell you. And it started out at 13, and went to 18, and these were angry Democrats. These were people that went to her, in one case, went to her, it was supposed to be a party, it turned out to be a funeral, on election evening, and was going wild. He was so angry. And this man now is judging me. You had other people made big contributions to Hillary Clinton's campaign. They were angry Democrats in, I think, almost all cases. One of the people worked on the Clinton Foundation as just about the top person at the Clinton Foundation. With all of this, they came back, no collusion. There's nobody in this room, including you, if they were, that's you, John, if we looked at you with $40 million, 18 angry people that hated you, and all of the other things I mentioned, they'll find something. I don't know, maybe John not. Go ahead, finish it. Mr. Mueller is also friends with
5: Mr. Barr, and as you're aware, Mr. Barr told lawmakers that he didn't have a problem with Mr. Mr. Mueller testifying. I'm
2: going to leave that up to uh, the Attorney General as to whether or not, I, I think, to me, it looks like a redo. Here's what's happened. The report comes back. It's perfect. It's beautiful. There's no collusion, nobody even talks about collusion. You know, I haven't heard the word Russia in a long time. There's no more talk about Russia. What happened to Russia, the Russian witch hunt? They don't talk because it was so on collusion, which by the way, is by far, that's the big deal. Because it was all about Russia. So I haven't heard the word Russia. They don't use the word Russia anymore. So there's no crime. There never was a crime, it was a hoax. It was a witch hunt. So this comes back, and it comes back totally exonerating Donald Trump and a lot of other people. This was a terrible thing that happened to our country. Now, I'll tell you what they are asking. They are asking about how did this whole thing start. That's what people want to know. And I want to tell you, I had an event last night. A lot of you were there. Thousands and thousands of people standing in a field. They've never seen anything like it, meaning even the press. But it's always that way. We've never had an empty seat. Thousands of people last night. You know what they want to know? How did this whole thing start? It's going to be hard for them to answer that one. Yeah, please. So
4: are you satisfied with the advice you received from John Bolton? Yeah,
2: John's very good. John is a, uh, he has strong views on things, but that's okay. I actually temper John, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody thought that was going to happen. I'm the one that tempers him, but that's okay. I have different sides. I mean, I have John Bolton, and I have other people that are a little more dovish than him. And ultimately, I make the decision. No, I I get—I like John. I get very good advice from John. John. Uh, Mr. President, as you saw, the Senate Intelligence Committee has subpoenaed Don Jr. That's the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee. What do you make of that? Well, I was very surprised. I saw Richard Burr saying there was no collusion two or three weeks ago. He went outside, and somebody asked him, "No, there's no collusion. We found no collusion." But I was very surprised to see my son. My son's a very good person, works very hard. The last thing he needs is Washington, D.C. He could rather not ever be involved. Remember, he said to me a long time ago when I was thinking about running, Dad, if I could help, let me know. It's not my expertise. It's not something I really like, but whatever I can do, you're my father, whatever I can do. He's now testified for 20 hours or something, a massive amount of time. The Mueller report came out. That's the Bible. The Mueller report came out. And they said he did nothing wrong. The only thing is, it's oppo research. If he did wrong, then everybody standing with me probably, except for John, and Lamar. I think Lamar is pretty, I'll tell you, did you ever do oppo research on an opponent? I don't think so, Lamar, right? <laughs> And I know John Barrasso never did opposition research because he's a fine, fine man, but I would say 99% of the rest of the folks. Are, so they didn't, but they, what they didn't discuss is this woman that came in, who I watched her in the Today Show, when it all started, oh, I'm just an innocent. Well, nobody even knows, although the halls of Congress know her very well because for years she's walked around all over Congress. She came in. And she left, supposedly, GPS Fusion goes and meets for a short period of time with my son and some other people. They talked about a subject as very well, you know, advertised and put out, which is nothing. It was a nothing meeting. In fact, Jared left. He said, get me out of this meeting. This is a waste of time. She then went back to GPS Fusion. They were the ones that wrote the phony dossier. Why was she going to GPS Fusion? Why did she go back? Then I heard that Don, for a year, made three phone calls with an unmarked number. They called it unmarked. And this was a tremendous event because they all knew the fake news. They all know you were fair on that, John. But they all knew that these phone calls, these, these tremendous phone calls, before the meeting and after the meeting. There were, I believe, three, right? They all knew that it had to be to his father. Unmarked, it's perfect. So he reported about the meeting and then reported what happened at the meeting. Except after looking and spending a tremendous amount of time and money, they were able to go back years and find out who made the calls. One was a local real estate developer. The other was a great person from NASCAR He took two of them and a friend of Don's. This went on for a year and a half. John, you heard all about the phone calls to obviously the father, where I knew I never knew about the meeting. But the phone calls to the father turned out not to be the phone calls. My son is a good person. My son testified for hours and hours. My son was totally exonerated by Mueller, who frankly does not like donald trump me this donald trump and frankly for my son after being exonerated to now get a subpoena to go again and speak again after close to 20 hours of telling everybody that would listen about a nothing meeting yeah, I'm pretty surprised. Sure, sure. Fight Please. that? Should he fight that subpoena? Oh, well, we'll see what happens. I'm just very surprised. I really am by it. Yeah. What did Iran do to prompt you to send an aircraft carrier to the? the well, they were threatening, Is and we have, we have information. We have information that uh, you don't want to know about. They were very threatening, and uh, we just want to have. Uh, we have to have great security for this country and for a lot of other places. Is there a risk of military confrontation, sir. I guess you could say that always, right? Isn't it? I mean, you know, always. I don't want to say no, but hopefully that won't happen. Uh, We have one of the most powerful ships in the world that's loaded up, and we don't want to have to do anything. What I'd like to see with Iran, I'd like to see them call me. You know, John Kerry speaks to him a lot. John Kerry tells them not to call. That's a violation of the Logan Act. And frankly, he should be prosecuted on that. But my people don't want to do anything that's... Only the Democrats do that kind of stuff. You know? If it were the opposite way, they'd prosecute him under the Logan Act. But John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He's talking to Iran and has been, has many meetings and many phone calls, and he's telling them what to do. That is a total violation of the Logan Act. Because what they should be doing is their economy is a mess ever since I took away the Iran deal. They have inflation that's the highest number I've ever heard. They're having riots every weekend and during the week even. And what they should be doing is calling me up, sitting down. We can make a deal, a fair deal. We just don't want them to have nuclear weapons. Not too much to ask. And we would help put them back into great shape. They're in bad shape right now. I look forward to the, where we can actually help Iran. We're not looking to hurt Iran. I want them to be strong and great and have a great economy. But they're listening to John Kerry who's violated a very important element of what he's supposed to be doing. He violated the Logan Act, plain and simple. He shouldn't be doing that. But they should call, and if they do, we're open to talk to them. We have no secrets, and they can be very, very strong financially. They have great potential, very much like North Korea. North Korea has tremendous potential economically, and I don't think he's going to blow that. I don't think so. Can I circle back to trade just for a second? Yeah, is it still possible to get a trade deal with the Chinese this week, or is it — It's possible to it. They're do. all here. Look, the vice premier, one of the most respected men, one of the highest officials in China is coming. You know, you heard he wasn't coming. He's coming. I will say this. Once the tariffs went on, they upped the meeting — it was supposed to take place originally on Thursday. Then, about five weeks ago, they said, how about Friday? How about next week? I said, what's this all about? And I said, that's okay, let's, don't worry about it, let's take in 100 billion a year. And uh, we put the tariffs on, we made the statement, and then they upped the meeting. How about, let's go back to Thursday. So I have no idea what's going to happen. I did get last night a very beautiful letter from President Xi, let's work together, let's see if we can get something done. But they renegotiated the deal. I mean, they took, whether it's uh, intellectual property theft, they took many, many parts of that deal and they renegotiated. You can't do that. And I'm different than a lot of people. I happen to think that tariffs for our country are very powerful. You know, we're the piggy bank that everybody steals from, including China. We've been paying China $500 billion a year for many, many years. China rebuilt their country because of us. They couldn't have done what they're doing. They're building a ship every three weeks. They're building aircraft like you've never seen, fighter jets. I respect it. I don't blame them. I blame our past leadership for allowing this to happen. What I'm doing now with China should have happened many years ago, not just Obama, long before Obama. I always say, you know, if you look, uh, NAFTA is one of the worst deals ever made trade deal, but the worst trade deal ever made is the WTO, because China was flatlining for many, many decades. Many, many, it was flat right here. The WTO came along. We allowed China into the WTO, and they became a rocket ship. You got to take a look at a chart sometime, do it. It'll be very interesting, an economic chart. They're here, and they went up like a rocket ship. Well, they did it with our money and others. And they did it because they're very smart, and they're good people, and I like the President a lot. He's a friend of mine. But I'm representing the USA, and he's representing China. And we're not going to be taken advantage of anymore. We're not going to pay China $500 billion a year. So we put very heavy tariffs on China as of Friday, and we put them on also eight months ago. And when people looked at the economic numbers, they were shocked when they look at the Import-export numbers. They were shocked. They said wow How did they get to this point? This was very good. That was a very good report. They'd never seen that for many years I said try looking at all of the tariffs That China has been paying us for the last eight months Billions and billions of dollars and that's only because I gave them a break because we were negotiating Goodwill we were negotiating. I gave them a break and I said let's keep it at 10 percent instead of 25%. So now what we're doing is we're raising it to 25% on Friday. So it'll be $250 billion at 25%, and it'll be $325 billion at 25%, and we're starting that paperwork today. So we'll see. But you know what? As president of our country, we had to do something about it. And as president of our great country, We're going to be taking in more money than we've ever taken in. And all of these countries, many of them have taken advantage of us, including our allies. They've taken advantage of us on trade. They've taken advantage of us on military. We defend all these countries for nothing or for a tiny fraction of what it costs. We take care of NATO. I'm all for NATO. I'm all for NATO. And I think it's just wonderful. But it's different than it was 25 years ago and 40 years ago. And I got NATO to put up an extra $100 billion, ask Secretary General Stoltenberg, he's like Donald Trump's biggest fan. Because spending was going down, the the contributions that the 28 countries were making, it was heading like, like a slope down, like a very steep mountain. And then I came and it went up like China, it went up like a rocket ship, okay? But I don't like seeing people take advantage. We pay for anywhere from 70 to 100% of NATO. So we protect NATO, we protect European countries, and we protect them, and we protect them beautifully. We're the power. We're the most powerful nation, especially since we've redone our military, redoing and done all of the nuclear. You never want to use it, but you have to have it. But we've spent, and I thank Congress for this, $700 billion and then $717, $16 billion on our military. Our military, when I came to office, was totally depleted. We now have by far the strongest military in the world. But we defend countries. When you look at our budget, so we're at $716 billion, and Russia's at $68 billion. How do you figure that? Because Russia doesn't go around defending every country in the world and not getting paid for it. And you know what? I don't mind not getting paid. If there's a country that's been horribly treated and lots of bad things are happening and they're not a rich country. But when we defend the richest countries in the world and they don't pay us for what we do. And frankly, they go back into closed meetings and they laugh at the stupidity of the United States for doing it. These are countries with nothing but cash. They could very easily. I told the story last night. I picked up $500 million with one phone call to a country. And that's just the beginning. And I've done it with many other countries anyway. But just over the last very short period of time, one phone call that lasted for a period of, I would say, five minutes, I picked up $500 million. Because I said, you're not taking care of us. We're taking care of you, but you're not taking care. It's not fair. So really the word is not fair. NATO doesn't treat us fairly at all, but now they're starting to pay. And if you look at Mr. Stoltenberg, he will tell you he's never seen anything like it. $100 billion, and that's a low number. They're paying $100 billion more. But how do you feel about this? Germany, you're supposed to be paying 2%, Germany's paying 1%. They say 1.3, but call it 1%, because it really is closer to 1%. Germany pays to Russia, billions of dollars a month for the pipeline. And yet we're supposed to be defending Germany from Russia. So Germany is giving the so-called enemy, I don't call it an enemy, I want to get along with Russia and I want to get along with China because I'm smart. Stupid people don't want to get along because I'm smart. This witch hunt hurt us in our relationships with a lot of countries. It was a very expensive, horrible thing for our country. And by the way, should never, ever happen again to a president. Two years I've been going through this nonsense, and now we have a good report, and now guys like Jerry Nadler, who I fought for many years successfully, I might add, back in New York in Manhattan. He was a Manhattan congressman. I beat him all the time, and I come to Washington, and now I have to beat him again over nothing, over nothing, over a hoax. And they know it's a hoax. They're smart. Nadler's a smart guy. Schiff is a smart guy. When Schiff goes to the microphone, he's conning this whole country. And he knows that. And he goes back into a room, and he talks to his friends, and he laughs, because that's the way life is. But our country is doing great. We're going to find out about China tonight. And I think in the end, you're going to be very impressed with the kind of things we're doing. And the reason they were so surprised with the numbers two, three weeks ago, not the 3.2 GDP, which everybody was surprised at, but maybe more importantly, export numbers, import numbers, because we have billions of dollars coming to our country that our country never would have seen with a regular president. This should have been done many years ago. And I told President Xi of China, and I tell Abi who's a good friend of mine, Prime Minister of Japan, doing a great job, I tell him, I tell everybody, I say, I don't blame you. I blame the people that ran the United States, and I blame their trade representatives, and frankly, I blame our presidents, because this should have never happened. We've been losing, for years, close to 800 billion, not million, 800 million is a lot, But we've been losing $800 billion on trade. $800 billion. We're going to stop that, and we've already started. So we have a meeting tonight at 5 o'clock with the top people from China, and we'll let you know what happens. Thank you all very much.
1: The President of the United States there in the Roosevelt Room at the White House. A whole range of subjects there, Guy Johnson. Just to go through some of the headlines on China and trade more specifically for our audience. He says he has an excellent alternative to the China deal. The Chinese delegation will be coming today. Then the more material news is that he received a letter from President Xi. The two may even speak on the phone. He said the U.S. is uh, likely or still possible to get a deal with China. To be more specific, just to clarify that, China, the deal this week, still possible. That The uh, president of China said in his letter he urged him to work together. We're going to find out about China tonight. There will be a meeting tonight at 5 p.m. with the top people from China. Off the back of these headlines, the headline I think that really moved the market, guys, that he got the letter from Xi, and within the letter she urged him to work together. Uh, the stock market off the back of that erasing raising some of the losses. The S&P 500 down on the session still by a half of 1%, but way off the lows. Your thoughts, Guy?
0: Um, well, that, that's certainly one element. As you say, the, the market has responded to that. 5 p.m. is the meeting. I think that letter signifies that the, the Chinese wants a, a deal. I, I, the sense I got from the tone of that conversation was that the president... By no means see that sees that as a certainty at this stage. Um, I think the market initially priced uh, priced higher on it. We've since faded a little bit. Uh, I thought the president was a little um, a, a little unclear as to whether or not he he actually wants a deal. Like he said he wants a deal, but but some of the language around that, I'm not sure, completely goes to that. Doesn't like Germany? Uh, and I think that also came out, to your point earlier on, about uh, deals getting done. He's he's still unimpressed with Germany. He brings up Germany uh, again and again and again. And he says he wants to deal with the Iranians, despite the fact he's, he's put a, uh, a carrier group in. Um,
1: I, he, he says he wants deals, but do actions speak louder than words, John? Michael Regan joining us, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live. Mike, this market is all over the place trading on these headlines which have very little clarity to them whatsoever uh,
5: absolutely john like you know like guy said you it was almost sentence by sentence you could see a reaction uh, you know he said he got the letter uh, the, we market paired losses a little bit but then he he clearly has not really softened his tone towards them uh, towards the china delegation and so we have faded back down i mean it's it, you know i've probably said this a dozen times on the show but it's it's really hard to listen to the president and really, uh, conclusively figure out what he's trying to say. You know, um, yep. uh, it, it doesn't. My, my takeaway would be that I think the market will come back down. I don't think um, it sounds like there's much chance of a deal by tomorrow. I mean, there's still. You know, very major issues to sort out, and uh, you know they've got a, a day basically to do it. I mean, I think the, the best you can hope for, obviously, is that they they call back uh, this plan to increase the, char- the the new round of tariffs tomorrow. Um, but I don't know. I I you know it's right now. I think it's a gambler's market. I think you you have to really be betting on 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 an outcome that is almost a coin toss at this point. I, I I don't see how you gain an edge, how you you analyze the situation and, you know, come up with the the strategy of what's going to happen next.
0: The Chinese presumably knew that the president, the Chinese must know that the president would would kind of signal that that letter has been sent and signal that the Chinese are saying that they want to deal and they want to work together. Can I read from that, do you think, and, and we're all kind of making this up as we're going along, that China is not going to come out and come out hard and say, Well, you do this, we're going to do this. Like it's very late in the day to kind of draw that kind of conclusion because because at midnight tonight everything's going to change. Maybe the Chinese do, do respond. But in but in the meantime the Chinese seem to be trying to
5: at least deliver an olive branch.
0: Is that the right interpretation? I genuinely am struggling to understand what's going on here.
5: I think that's fair. I mean, the the most interesting thing I read today was in the Wall Street Journal, and they talked about how the reason China was emboldened to to push back was that they – Observed President Trump demanding an interest rate cut in the U.S. demanding or suggesting at such least such a bizarre story. It wasn't that bizarre, yeah. And and to them, they read that according to this, you know, these are sources that spoke to the Wall Street Journal. So, um, you know, uh, for what that's worth. But you know, they basically said uh, President Trump's begging for an interest rate cut. Their economy must not be as strong as advertised which a lot of people tend to think because of that 3.2 they took it as a sign of weakness they took it as a sign of weakness and they thought they could get concessions yeah and and um so i feel like right thought, now china has yeah. all the leverage i i read
0: it, i read a kind of another story the other day which seems to suggest and, and and this struck me as equally as bizarre as well that the president is creating this situation around china in order to put pressure on the fed to cut rates
5: Right. And and that goes back to what I was saying. Trying to suss out and figure out the motives behind what he's doing. Yeah, it's almost a waste of time. It it almost is. I I will
1: say if the Wall Street Journal story happens to be true and it filters up to the president, maybe Chairman Powell, that might be a saving grace. If the president finds out that going after the Fed is perceived as a sign of weakness abroad – um, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that helps I mean, out <laughs> a little bit. That's right. Yeah, I'm I don't know the,
5: how far that goes. If the sources actually came from within the FOMC,
1: <laughs> but I do think that the Reuters report more recently shines a little bit of light of uh, as just to how much the Chinese tried to backtrack ahead of a, a critical week of talks. And I think to some degree, the Chinese also miscalculating where this administration is and and how willing they be would be to stand firm and look for the better deal. There was a narrative, and I'm sure you guys came across it as well. I certainly did many times over the last couple of weeks that the president just wanted a quick, easy deal. Yeah. And I think that the last couple of days have put some but the serious market, but the, market's been, the market's been I, The market has been in la-la land on a
0: number of different things of late, don't you think? Right. I, the trade but deal is certainly one I of mean, them. Arguably,
1: I know we blame the Fed for everything, but on, on this occasion, I think the Federal Reserve has insulated so many people from so many things that they haven't given much thought to the headline risk. Yeah. But
0: but also, the market pricing, the Fed kind of delivering cuts, I think, was you could probably put in the same bucket as well. Right. Um, right. And, and I just kind of, the, the market's just had this rose tinted view of the world at the moment. Iran's not a problem. Uh, the trade story's not a problem. The
1: Fed's going to cut. We're going to have a 1990 but... scenario. The Fed's yeah, just but... going give, to give us a present.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the economy's in great shape with all of this as well. So the earnings story's not going to get that that sort of hurt either. I Really? All of those things do not hang together.
5: Right.
1: And yet that was the narrative for certainly kind of three or four weeks. Guys, it been great to catch up with you. Michael Regan, special thanks to you. Thanks for your patience over the last 30 <laughs> minutes A fascinating. Can we call that a news conference? I'm not sure what that was, but it was interesting to listen to nevertheless. It
0: was a soliloquy, I think, basically. Alongside <laughs> Guy
1: Johnson, I'm Jonathan Ferro. You're listening to The Cable. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.